Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. could say that Jews invented prayer. So the, the, the patriarchs were the ones who basically, the first ones who prayed and instituted <laughs> prayer. The whole concept of prayer is a very Jewish, Jewish uh, concept. Today we're, we're going to continue with a, an int the introduction. We left off with 10 questions, which we're going to cover today. Firstly, what does the word tefillah, or as we say in the vernacular, davening, what does davening mean? What does the word tefillah? What's the definition? Why, when we, do, when we pray, do we physically face Jerusalem? Why a minion? Why do you need a minion? Why do you need ten men? Why not daven alone? Why daven in a shul? What's so special about a shul? A synagogue? A Beit HaKnesset? Why do Jews shake and chuckle when they daven? <laughs> which is also uniquely Jewish, you know? A Jew shuckles and shakes. Why? Why do we have to speak? Doesn't God know our thoughts? Why can't we just silently pray in our mind? Hashem, this is what I need. We can talk to Hashem. Hashem knows everything that we're thinking. And yet if we don't say the words... We haven't done We haven't done the mitzvah. Isn't the prayer a contradiction to faith? If you really have faith in Hashem, and otherwise why are you davening? If you don't have faith, why are you davening? You believe that Hashem is running this world. Nothing happens in this world without God. He knows what's best for us. And everything that God does is good. So, so what are you davening? You don't have confidence in the way Hashem is running this world? Alter Rebbe once had a discussion, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, with two of his colleagues, Rabbi Levi Yitzhak of Bardichev and Rabbi Zusha of Anipola. And they were discussing what would they do if they were God? How would they run the world? <laughs> so one of the Alter Rebbe's colleagues says, if I ran the world, I would shut down all the hospitals. That's it, no more illness. And the other one said, if I ran the world, no more poverty. And the Alter Rebbe says, if I were God, I would run the world exactly the way God is running the world. Because <laughs> I would know, I would know why. Why is a reason for everything. So why, what am I praying for? You have faith or you don't have faith? Make up your mind. You believe in God, so don't you, don't you believe God knows what he's doing? If you don't have confidence, you don't believe, then what are you praying? Who are you praying to? Also, is pra isn't prayer like a very selfish, self-centered activity, the essence of prayer is you're asking God for your personal needs, which we care very deeply about. But it seems to be like a very selfish thing. I'm absorbed in my needs. It could be petty. To me, it may be very significant, but it could be in the scheme of things. It could be pretty meaningless and insignificant. And yet that is the mitzvah. The mitzvah is to pray, to petition to God for your needs, to ask Hashem for all your needs. 
So here, on one hand, prayer is so lofty and prayer is so central and prayer is called service. You're serving God. What do you mean I'm serving God? It's self-serving. And what is the best way to pray? Is it better to pray in the Hebrew or is it better to pray in the English, in the language that you understand and relate to and connect with? Whatever your personal language. And what are the preparations for prayer? What are the proper preparations for prayer? You know, we're coming from this Shabbat. We read about the flood. Hashem tells Noah, Boa la teva, enter the ark. And the Baal Shem Tev said that teva in Hebrew also means the words. That the Torah is eternal. God is telling every Jew, if you want to save yourself from the flood, you don't want to drown and be, be overwhelmed by the tumultuous waters that overwhelm us. Our engagement in the material world could just like, just totally, completely engross us and wash over us. And we lose our head, literally. So Hashem is telling the Jew, enter into the words of prayer. Pray fervently. Pray with all your heart. Pray with all your might. And that will save you. That is the ark that will save you from the flood. So a Jew once came to the Baal Shem Tev and he said he was trying to achieve divine inspiration. It says if you don't speak any idle chatter for 40 days, if you are careful, then you will merit to have divine inspiration. So this Jew was very careful. 40 days he didn't speak an extra word. No idle chatter. He zipped his mouth. It was very difficult. And after 40 days, there's no divine inspiration. <laughs> so he comes to the Vashamtev. He says, Rebbe, I don't understand. I read in the holy books that if you are careful not to speak any idle chatter, you'll merit divine inspiration. Vashamtev says, let me ask you, in these 40 days, did you pray? He says, yes. He says, those were your idle chatter. <laughs> that was your idle chatter. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if you just pray and say the words and you don't understand what you're praying and there's no thought behind it and there's no feeling behind it, then it's empty words. So firstly, what is the definition? What is the meaning of tefillah? A davening. So davening, some say that davening comes from the root word divine. Davening is Yiddish. We say to daven. Right? To daven. It comes from divine, because davening is your interaction with the divine, with Hashem. Others say that davening comes from the word da'avuhoin, from our fathers, our patriarchs, because they were the ones who instituted the prayers. Abraham instituted the morning prayer, Isaac instituted the afternoon prayer, and Jacob instituted the evening prayer. They were the first ones to introduce the whole concept of prayer and until this, beca- this became the Jewish profession, the Jewish way to always pray, to constantly pray, and three times a day. So that's what the root of the word davening. So next time you hear the word davening, you know what it means. Da- davening, it's a word, but what's the root? What's the source? But what's the root of the word tefillah, prayer itself? So we touched upon it last week, that most people translate tefillah into prayer. What is the meaning of the word prayer? It's not a correct translation. What is the meaning of the word prayer? To petition. 
You need something. But the root of the word tefillah in Hebrew comes from the root word to connect. To connect. Because prayer, the essence of prayer is not to petition for your needs. The essence of prayer is really to connect. If prayer was just about petitioning for your needs, you wouldn't need such a long prayer. It's an hour in the morning. I mean, how, how many needs do you have already? Okay, you have your laundry list. God, you're great. This is what I need. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way to Z. Thank you very much. See you tomorrow. <laughs> the whole thing should be a five-minute event. Obviously, it's much more to prayer than just asking for your needs. The soul of prayer, the root and the source and the essence of prayer is really to connect with Hashem. You know, your, your, your phone runs out of juice. The battery dies out every day. You have to replug. You have to recharge. Otherwise, the phone dies. And the same is spiritually speaking. Every day we have to rejuvenate ourselves. Because the juice, the soul, the spiritual, the connection, the consciousness of godliness has to be recharged and rejuvenated each and every day. You know, you ate yesterday, and that was good yesterday. Yesterday you were full, yesterday you felt robust, you felt alive, you felt vibrant, you had all the energy and the nutrients that you needed. You wake up the next day, you're hungry, you feel weak, you need to be recharged. And what's true in the physical sense is how much more so in the spiritual sense. So every day you need to recharge, to reconnect, to focus, to, be, to center yourself, to be consciously aware and feel connected with the godliness that's located at the very center of your being, to allow it to emerge and to surface on the conscious level. So that's the, the root and the source of the word of tefillah, why it's called the service. We are servicing Hashem because it's a time to connect with Hashem and to connect with Hashem on a conscious level. Until your mind and your heart until you can experience godliness, until it's something that you connect with and relate to and it inspires you and it becomes a force in your life, it becomes a reality in your life, where godliness becomes a reality in your life. Because we all have that faith deep down, subconsciously. But the challenge is to bring it to the forefront, to bring it to our consciousness, to our you know, deep down we all want to be healthy, but it's not a reality in our lives. Because 90% of the time, 90% of us actively lead unhealthy lives. So we know deep down, it's a truth. Deep down we want to be healthy. And we'll do anything for our health. But it's not a force in our life. It's not a reality. Consciously, it's not a reality. We don't make decisions based on that truth. Because it's, we don't feel it. We don't experience that truth. So truth needs to be brought to the forefront. It needs, you have to consciously bring it to the level of awareness, which leads to an emotion, leads to a conviction, leads to a strongly felt conviction that can guide you 
and guide your behavior and guide your choices. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is that time when you consciously plug in, consciously rejuvenate, recharge, until your juices are flowing, until you feel, you can sense godliness, you can sense truth, and it becomes a reality in your life. Why do we physically face Jerusalem? Well, ever since God chose Israel and Jerusalem, and within Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, and within the Temple Mount, the Holy Temple, this is the place where God's Shekhinah, God's presence, is manifest. And when King Solomon built the Temple, he prayed, and he called it not only a house, a holy house, a temple, a holy place, but a house of prayer. He said that all prayers, all prayers are, reach heaven and go through Jerusalem and go through the Temple Mount. When Jacob had his dream of the ladder that connects heaven and earth, where was that dream? Where was Jacob when he had that dream? In the Temple. That's where he went to sleep, in the Temple. And he said how awesome this place is. And he was shown the vision of the angels, because this is the place where the angels elevate our prayers to heaven, and they come down the ladder with the blessings and the response to our prayers. So all prayers go through Jerusalem. And we physically face Jerusalem. The uh, famous rabbi Maral of Prague, Rabbi Yehuda Loi from Prague, his brother writes, it says in the Torah, Jerusalem is never once mentioned by name in the Torah. It says, the place that I will choose, the city that I will choose. In the, in the uh, prophets and in the writings, Jerusalem is mentioned over 600 times. But in the five books of Moses, Jerusalem is never mentioned once. It's called Shalem, but the word Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, it's not identified. God says, the place that I will choose, the city that I will choose in the future, I will let you know what the, which city I choose. And he says, the reason why the Torah doesn't give us the name of Jerusalem, he says, he says, because wherever a Jew stands and prays and he's facing Jerusalem, that moment, that spot is Jerusalem. Wherever you are standing, you're standing here in the Upper East Side where you are standing and praying and physically facing Jerusalem, that spot is Jerusalem. That spot becomes a holy spot. Now why, why a minion? Why do you need ten people? You know, before the rabbis of the Great Assembly instituted the Shemon Esrei, the prayer, as we know it today, there was no minion. As we discussed last week, everyone prayed on their own. According to Maimonides, there's a biblical commandment to pray every day. But everyone may, prayed on their own, using their own words. And that's the ideal. It was a very personal, person-to-person connection between us and Hashem. And uh, there was no minion. There was no gathering together. There was no shmanesh. You didn't have a structured prayer. Everyone prayed on their own. But this was the era of prophecy. This was the era of the first temple, when the Shekhinah, when God's presence was manifest in the temple. 
when you had a million, two hundred thousand prophets, when the Jewish people were on such a lofty level. So whenever an individual prayed, he had the Shekhinah, he had Hashem's presence with him. But with the beginning of the second temple, that was the end of the era of prophecy. And the second temple was lacking and missing. Didn't have the same level of manifestation of the divine presence as in the first temple. And therefore the rabbis institutionalized the prayers and formalized it and organized it. And therefore in order to achieve that same level of Shekhinah, to have Hashem's presence when you're praying, to have God's presence manifest, it's only when you get a minion together. Because when you get ten Jews together, it says the Shekhinah is present. As the Alter Rebbe writes in the Tanya that he heard from his master, Rabbi Dov Ber, who heard from the Baal Shem Tov, that when ten Jews are gathered together, even if they're not studying Torah, they're just sitting together at a cafe. <laughs> the Shekhinah is present. God's Shekhinah is manifest. And an angel couldn't even be in this. In the, an angel would be completely consumed by the holiness. An angel who senses the holiness would be completely consumed by the holiness, overwhelmed by the level, the intensity of the holiness. So, as the Talmudic rabbis tell us, that God does not reject the prayer of a community, of a congregation. Because when we come to Hashem as individuals, you know, God puts us under, under, the, under, the, under the microscope. Are you really worthy? Are you really deserving? Are you up to par? You know, we're scrutinized. But when we pray as a community, then we all smell like roses. We're all, God looks at us completely different. Because the Jew is part of a whole, we're part of the community. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. That's why the Jewish community is eternal. The individual Jews, or many Jews who, who fell, fell by the wayside and got lost, unfortunately. Assimilated, got lost. It's like a dance. The dance is eternal. The circle continues. That's eternal. The Jewish whole, Kalal Yisrael, the Jewish people are eternal. But the individual, so as long as we're plugged into the Jewish whole, then we plug into that eternity. And that's why the name for congregation in the, in the Talmud is Tzibur. Tzibur is an acronym for three Hebrew words. Tzadikim, Beninim, Rishoyim. Righteous, Beninim, the average, and Rishoyim, even the wicked. Because even the wicked one, when he's part of a community... Hashem looks at us, He looks at us as a whole. When we connect and plug into the Jewish people, when we feel part of the Jewish people, and we identify with the Jewish whole, and Jewish history, and with the Jewish present, and with the Jewish destiny, then Hashem doesn't look at us as individuals. He looks at us as part of the whole, and the whole is perfect. Klal Yisrael, the Jewish people as a whole, is perfect. So the Shekhinah is present, and Hashem answers our prayers favorably. He never rejects the prayer of a congregation, of a community. That's why even the prayers we pray in the plural, 
We don't say heal me. Heal us. You always include yourself in the community, in the congregation. You know, there was a uh, Alter Rebbe's colleague, Rabbi Zusha of Annapolar, one of the great Hasidic masters. He, um, he was extremely, extremely poor. And uh, in his town in Annapoli, there was this very wealthy Jew. Actually, um, he didn't start out so wealthy. He was well-to-do, and he sees this pious Jew sitting in shul all day, praying and, and learning. He decided, you know what, let me help him out a little. He gave him some money to help him support his family. From that day on, anything that he touched turned into gold. <laughs> all his business deals, everything, all the obstacles just melted away, and he, he was smart enough to put two and two together. So from that day on, anytime he had a business deal, first stop was the shul. He would go to the rabbi. Rabbi, here's a nice donation. Take care of your family. And he would go do business. And his business was smashingly successful. And this went on for like close to a year. And he thinks to himself, okay, before Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur, Sukkot, I have to bring a nice gift to the rabbi. You know, I've had the best year I've ever had financially. Comes to the synagogue. The rabbi is not there. What happened? Oh, you don't know, Rabbi Zusha. Every year he goes to his rabbi. He goes to his rabbi. He goes to the famous Hasidic master, Rabbi Dover, the Maggid of Mizrich. So he thinks to himself, what do you mean? I thought I'm supporting the big rabbi. No, he's a chassid of the big, the grand rabbi. I'm supporting this little rabbi, and look how successful I am. Forget about this little rabbi. I'm going straight to the top. <laughs> he travels to the Maggid. With a, and he comes in, he says, Rebbe, you have a new supporter, and he puts down, and puts down a whole bag of gold and coins. I'm going to be your biggest supporter. From that day on, everything went from downhill, <laughs> from bad to worse. Everything that he touched failed. He had two left hands. He couldn't succeed in anything. Till he went back to his good old self. He was totally confused. He didn't, it makes no sense to him. So he goes into Rabbi Zusha, he says, Rabbi, humbly, he says, Rabbi, please help me understand. I don't understand. Here I was supporting you, and God smiled, and I was doing tremendously. And here I'm supporting the great Rabbi. So Rabbi Zusha smiled, he said, listen. You came to Shul, you saw a Jew who was in need. You didn't ask any questions. You weren't such a wise guy. You weren't so calculated. A Jew needs help. I can help. I helped. It was pure. It was sincere. Hashem says, you know, Hashem smiled, Let, let's, let's bless him, let's shower him with blessings. Now you became a wise guy. You're weighing, you're measuring, you're calculating, who should I give, who shouldn't I give, who's worthy, who's not worthy, what am I going to get back? So you know what? God is interactive. The way we treat others is exactly the way God treats us. So they took a closer look at you. <laughs> they put you under the microscope. This Shmendrik? Him? <laughs> He's not worthy of anything. So, when we pray as an individual, we're put under the microscope, under tremendous scrutiny. Are we worthy? Are we not worthy? Are you coming before Hashem? What? When? Where? Who? You're standing in front of the king? You're petitioning the king himself? Are you doing anything in your life? Are you changing anything in your life? Are 
you're improving anything in your life. But when you come as part of a community, as part of a, a minion, you're together with ten Jews, and you're coming to Hashem as part of Klau Yisrael, a ten is a slice of the Jewish whole, then Hashem looks at us totally, entirely differently and favorably. And the Shekhinah is present. Now it's interesting that the, the Shekhinah is in the feminine. The whole concept of a minion only is relevant to men. Ten men. We learn a minion from the first ten men, the ten spies. When ten Jews got together the first time and they went to Israel and they came back with a terrible report and they blew it and they messed it up so terribly, we're suffering until today. So when ten Jews got together and they ruined and destroyed, almost destroyed everything, it's up to us, the men, have to get our act together. Ten men gathered together and this time trying to fix, to fix that mess. But on a deeper level, the, the shechina, the idea of prayer, the essence of prayer is really the personal prayer, the individual prayer. And that's the way it was for the first thousand years of Jewish existence. And that's the ideal. And we learn all the laws of prayer, how you pray. You learn from Hannah, the opening of the book of Samuel. Samuel's mother, Shmuel's mother. Because she prayed and she poured her heart out. And that's how we learn all the laws of prayer. Because that is the essence of prayer. Where the individual is pouring their soul out to Hashem and communing and connecting with Hashem. And that's really what the silent prayer is. It's fascinating that the silent prayer... It's, it's a paradox. On one hand, you're davening with a minion. You're in shul. You're davening with a minion. So it's a very public event. It's a communal event. And yet, it's a very personal and private event. It's called a silent prayer. Everyone is standing in shul together, yet everyone is lost in their own prayer. You're completely oblivious to everyone around you, which is why we have the mechitza, we separate the men and the women, because it's not a social time. I'm not even together with my family. This is about my personal relationship with Hashem, which supersedes my relationship with my spouse, with my children. It's, it's a personal, intimate relationship between me and God. It, it doesn't get more personal than that. So yes, I am standing here together with the congregation. And in the building, you have the men, the women, and the children. The whole congregation is represented. Everyone is here. And yet each individual is completely absorbed and lost in their own prayer, in their own personal, intimate relationship with Hashem. Nothing like it exists in the world. To be in a public space, and at the same time, the public doesn't nullify the individual. You're totally in a public space, together, dabbling with a minion, together, and at the same time, the individual is speaking to Hashem, one-to-one, baruch ata, face-to-face, person-to-person, so to speak. This is the essence of prayer. And that's why the woman embodies that personal, that personal connection with Hashem, the pouring out of her soul, that personal relationship with Hashem. So she doesn't need that minion. That's not, that's not the essence of the prayer. The minion is more the formal part of the prayer, the structure of the prayer. But the soul of the prayer, the essence of the prayer, this we learn from the woman. We learn from Chana, how she prayed. And every woman, that's the essence of her being. The relationship with Hashem is so personal and so intimate. And it's like a real marriage and relationship. And that's really the soul of prayer.
So even in the setting of a congregation and in shul and the communal setting and even in this formalized setting, the essence and the highlight is the silent prayer, the personal connection that we make with Hashem, each and every one of us makes with Hashem. But in general, the whole concept of a minion is a uniquely Jewish phenomenon. Amongst non-Jews, you don't have a concept of a minion. Ten people, ten non-Jews do not make a minion, a core. Because you may have seven billion people, but you have seven billion different stars, planets, universes. You know how distant one star from the other is? <laughs> you know the closest star, how far, how two, three light years away? Take you 80,000 years to travel from here to the closest star. And there are trillions and zillions of stars. Every human being is like a star, is a world apart. Yes, we may have connections with each other, but ultimately it's a superficial connection. Every one of us is a world apart. So you may have seven billion people, but you have seven billion, in a true sense, isolated worlds. The Jew is the exception. With a Jew, even though two Jews, three opinions, and we have nothing external in common. You have Ashkenazic Jews and Svaradic Jews and every type of Jew you can imagine. But when it comes to the core and the essence, we are one. We are truly, absolutely one. What makes us Jewish is we have a Jewish soul. We have a divine spark. We have that piece of the divine essence in us. And we all have that same Jewishness, that same core and essence. So the idea of, of that connection, when 10 Jews get together, there's a genuine connection. It's not a superficial connection. It's a genuine connection at the core level, at the, at the deepest level. And that's why sparks fly. When 10 Jews get together, you have a minion, you have the Shekhinah, the Shekhinah is present. So when a Jew prays, it's not only, it's not only that it's symbolic. We're remembering the temple. We're remembering the time, the service in the temple. And today we don't have a temple, so we have a substitute for it. We have prayer. When a Jew prays with a minion and he's coming together, we are reenacting the temple. Whatever happened in the temple is happening today. Because when ten Jews are together, the Shekhinah is present, just like God is present in the temple when they offer the sacrifices. When ten Jews get together... God is present at that moment, right then and there. It's manifest. So whatever happened in the temple is happening today. When Jews get together three times a day in Shul and Daven together. 